This morning, our scripture comes from Genesis 14, 14 through 24. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He discovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Savah. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salam, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Saddam said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Saddam, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. The word of God. So we are in the second week of a sermon series, um, and it's called about the royal priests. Uh, of the Bible and, and kind of focused on this idea of, of tracing the priesthood uh, through the Old Testament into the New Testament all the way, uh, it goes into the book of Revelation. Um, and we're in the second week and we are actually at the very first character that is given the title of priest. So you heard it in this reading today, uh, it kind of sneaks up on you because it doesn't explain what a priest is by any means. There's just an assumption that we know what a priest is, but right here in Genesis 14, this is the very first time uh, we're actually given the title that someone is a priest. Um, and if I were to just kind of ask you and, and to think about, and many of you have been in churches for a long time, maybe some of you church is newer, but if I were to just have you think about uh, priests and, and what priesthood are, many of you might think of uh, priests in our modern day world, whether it's uh, in Catholic churches or other church traditions, some churches of, uh, you know, some strains of the Anglican church still use the word priest. Or, um, but if we think kind of biblically, if we try to think in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament about what a priest is, different things come to mind. We might think of, of Aaron, who's the brother of Moses, the very first uh, high priest of Israel. Uh, we might think of all the priests that come after him, the priests that are uh, Levites, and, and they work in the temple, they work in the tabernacle, and they offer sacrifices. Uh, or you might not know at all what to think, uh, and that's fine also. <laughs> uh, but what we're actually focusing on this sermon series is this idea of the royal priesthood. So royal meaning, meaning kings uh, and priesthood. So these are two different roles that people uh, can live into often in the Bible. Um, but then there's this 
the strain that goes through of what does it mean when these roles are connected together? What does it mean when we see both? And last week, we looked at how the first priests in the Bible, even though they weren't given that title, uh, were actually none other than Adam and Eve. And they were living in the, the very first temple in the, in the Garden of Eden, the one that all of the other temples are modeled after. Uh, and we talked about a lot last week about how we can just clearly see as we dive into Scripture that they're doing priestly roles, they're doing priestly things. And the role of a priest in the Bible is to stand in this gap between humanity and God. And, and there's people that are in a certain place, in a special place, in a holy place, and they stand somehow in that gap. And they receive sacrifices uh, from the people, and they turn around and they give those to God. And then they receive blessings from God, and they turn around and they give those to the people. Uh, here we actually meet the very first person who is given this title of priest. Uh, so why don't we dive in here. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we learn about the fall of humanity. So Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're tricked by the serpent into rebelling against God, into trying to be gods of their own life, into trying to be like God. And, and they eat of the fruit, but it's, but it's all uh, this trick and it results in them getting kicked out of the garden kicked out of this place of, of blessing, kicked out of this place where, where God has met them before and, and God has said uh, that he will bless them, that they will be fruitful, that they will multiply this, this wonderful location, and they're removed from it. And as we read it, as we look at it, there should be this tension inside. How, how can these humans get back to this blessing? How can these humans get back uh, in good relationship with God? Does it, does it mean they have to get back into Eden? Does it mean that somehow Eden is going to come out to them? What, what does this mean? We're not sure. But, but it should build this tension inside of us. But we are given a sliver of hope at the end of this. God promises that one day a descendant will come. And he will defeat that evil. And he will restore humanity into this, this role of royal Priests. So even in this terrible moment, this moment of being exiled, this moment of being removed, there's this sliver of hope for the future that someday a descendant will come. And that descendant uh, will restore humanity's place as these royal priests. Why don't we look at it here? It's in Genesis 3, uh, verses 14 through 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Then in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So there's one that's, that's to come. There's a hope for the future, despite being kicked out of the garden, despite being removed from this blessing. There's a hope, and it's, it's one who will be both a priest and a sacrifice at the same time. We'll get to him in a few weeks. <laughs> you might be already guessing who it is. I, I always like to joke, it's the Sunday school answer. 
at least when I was in Sunday school. You know, whenever, whenever the teacher would ask a question, they'd say, oh, who, who's this person? You know, they'd explain it all. And what was the correct answer every time? Jesus, right. Very good, Sunday school class. <laughs> if, you, if you were in Sunday school and you just replied Jesus, you were, not, you were right 90% of the time. And every once in a while, they'd trick you with Moses or David or someone. Uh, but normally it was Jesus. And even then, like, if you went theological, you could kind of get there. So uh, it, it's all pointing forward. It's all pointing towards Jesus. It's all pointing uh, towards the New Testament here. This one who will be both the priest and the sacrifice himself. But as we stand here at the end of Genesis 3, again, hope is almost lost. They're removed from the garden. They're removed from this place of blessing. They're on the outside. And, and as we read through um, I, I certainly don't have time to get into all of it, but there's a lot of chaotic violence going on. Almost immediately, we get Cain and Abel. We go straight into, uh, of, into things like the Tower of Babel. We go into to Noah and the, and the flood. It just continues through, and we get all the way to our reading today. Actually, we get to Genesis chapter 12, and, and we wonder, you know, is this even possible? What's this going to look like? We continue to spiral and spiral and spiral, and again, the chaos is building, and the pain is building, and the hurt is building, and how is God going to bless them? And in Genesis chapter 12, we get a little sliver of that answer. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We're introduced to two new characters, Abram and Sarai. Now, before I get any further, I'll just tell you, I have the hardest time saying Abram instead of Abraham. It's the same person, in case you're not aware of that. <laughs> it's the same person. Both names mean different things. Um, Abram just means exalted father, and then his name gets changed to Abraham, which means father of many. Um, I apologize. I know I will use them interchangeably. So this entire story, he's still Abram. He doesn't go to Abraham, I think, till Genesis 17, but I'm sorry. I can't do it. My brain, like, can't shift. Uh, well, here we are. We're introduced to Abram, uh, and this is what God says to him. And, and remember, keep your, your early in Genesis, your, your Eden kind of mindset on, uh, and listen to see if we hear some Eden blessing language here. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. It looks like this sliver of hope is, is starting to come true. Is, is, is this Abram, is he our person? Is he our ticket back into this blessing of Eden? Is he, is he the person that we're going to get it through? The answer is no. Well, kind of. One of his descendants. But it, but it brings up this bit of hope. 
And notice that this blessing isn't just for them. This blessing isn't just for their descendants. It's not just like your descendants are going to be great. The whole point of it, as it builds, is that all people will be blessed through you. So God is going to do a special thing through this one family. He's kind of set them apart, and he's going to bless all the nations through them. If they can only live into it, if they can only do it, he's going to bless everyone through them. It's almost like this entire family becomes like the priests. Remember, we have, we have the people, and we have God, and someone has to stand in the middle and help mediate between the two, and it's like we're giving priestly language here. We're going to have a whole family that is going to be like the priests. They're going to be the ones in the middle. They're going to be ones that are, are connecting with God. And remember, priests receive offerings. They turn around and they give them to God. But what do they get from God? Blessings. And through this family, God will then bless all of humanity. So it's the very same language. It's the very same thing going on here. I don't know, I find this interesting. It's, it's kind of fascinating, right? There's, there's so much here, but we just breeze over it when we read it. I don't know how many of you ever paused at this story in Genesis 14 that Jimeline read. It's like the easiest one. Like even if you're reading through the Bible, you just read it and you're like, that was weird. And you just kind of move on. <laughs> like, oh, whatever that was about. There's some war, okay. Uh, and you just kind of move on. And, and that's what we do. But it's, it's really kind of neat if we're able to pause here. So again, is Abraham, there I said it, is Abram, this priest we have been waiting for? The answer is no. But, but even in his story, we meet this mysterious figure that points us even closer to Jesus. So that brings us to our text from today. And I, I actually really like this story. I feel like anyone who makes movies is kind of missing out on a good opportunity. I don't know who should play Abram. I don't know. I mean, it's he's kind of like warrior figure. He like goes off. I don't know. Any any suggestions? No. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, maybe not. Uh, but a little background here. So we're in Genesis 14. Uh, it's the the nations are raging. There's wars. The kings are fighting each other. And what we actually learn earlier before we read is that there's there's these five kings, and they live near Abraham, and, and they're led by the king of Sodom. This is the same Sodom of you know, Sodom and Gomorrah fame, if you will. Uh, and they're led by the king of Sodom. And there's five kings, and they've been paying taxes to these kings that are further east, over, over kind of by Babylon, if you know your, uh, your geography in that part of the world. And, and how this kind of works is you, know, you have a city, and it's kind of a city-state, and each one has their king, right? And they're ruling their people. But when a larger army comes in, you can either get destroyed, or you can say, well, we'll pay taxes to you, and we'll kind of be under your uh, authority. So there's, there's five kings, and they're paying taxes to this, these four kings. And we're told that it goes on for uh, 12 years. And then in the 13th year, they say no more. In the 13th year, they think together we can stand against these other kings. This is, it's Independence Day. There's rejoicing. And it lasts for a year. Because then we're told the next year, in the 14th year, the four kings of the Far East 
set off for war. They join together. They march across the entire area with the goal of making these other kings and these other places pay. And, and it's just, it's what kings do. It's what nations, it's the first time we get to it in the Bible. It's also kind of the first kings. You know, the population has grown enough that there's, there's people ruling over people. And what do they do? They, they do war. And, and taxes. And rebellions. And battles. And they haven't stopped. But we meet it here first in Genesis 14. And as we read it, I think in our minds, I know at least in my own, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, who's the good guys, who's the bad guys? You know, you're, you're like, okay, well, you know, the other ones are further away, so maybe those are the bad guys, and, and then these ones are the good guys. But really, in the Bible, there's not good guys and bad guys here. It's like five bad kings went to war with four bad kings. <laughs> That's what's going on. They're just going to war. They're just doing what they do, and, and they're fighting with each other, and if anything, if there's any innocent people, it's just the people that live in the area. It's just the people that are now in this war-torn uh, region, and, and we find out as we continue to read that one of those people is Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, Lot was with Abraham when he received that blessing, that God will bless those that bless him and curse those who curse him. I, Lot was with him, but now Lot was living in Sodom. So when the other kings come, and they invade the area, Lot is there, and Lot's family is there, and, and we're told that Lot gets carried away with all of his possessions, with all of his goods. He's a prisoner of war, and he's being carried back, and, and most likely being carried back to be used as a slave. That's, that's how it worked back then. When you plundered an area, when you took all their goods, some of the goods that you took uh, is terrible to say, but you took people back with you, and Lot uh, is one of them. And Abram finds out. Abram is told that Lot has been taken. And again, God, God promised just two chapters earlier that he will bless those that bless Abram and his family and that he will curse those that curse him. And then we hear a little bit about Lot. That's chapter 13. And then we hear about the first time that someone's really kind of cursing Abram's family. So how's Abram going to respond? How's God going to respond? We get to our reading for today. We're told that Abram gathers 318 men from his own family, which you're like, oh, Abram is not this shepherd in the mountains. <laughs> I thought he was. Wait, he got 318 <laughs> men? Okay, he's, he's kind of his own people already. Hugely blessed. This is how the Bible kind of shows the blessing early on. He's, his family has, has grown, his people have grown, he has influence over the area, and he, he gathers from his own people, his servants, everyone else, he gathers 318, you know, guerrilla-trained fighters. He's no slouch, and we're told that he goes on this, this daring raid at night of, of these four kings of their army. Now, I guarantee you the other army is bigger than 318 people. Right? So, so we're already kind of leaning into this. We're like, this, if they're going to do anything, this is overwhelming odds. This is going to need God to do something here. Again, another theme that we see all the way through the Bible is this idea that God is with people and there's overwhelming odds that they overcome. And they are victorious. 
They do this night raid, they're victorious, they, they drive them out, they start running away, and we're told that they drive the army as far away as Damascus. Now, I know you're all ancient Near Eastern geography majors, but in case one person is not, uh, Damascus is, it's over 100 miles away. It's far to the north. Uh, it's way up there. Again, this is shocking. So, so Abraham has 318 men, attack them at night. Uh, they start running away, and we're told that they drive them 100 miles away. They're chasing them, attacking them, getting them out of the area. And we're told that he rescues Lot, that he rescues all of the goods that they have stolen. And now, now we're told that Abram is coming back with his army, and he's coming back with everything that was taken from uh, really these five kingdoms that were attacked. Verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer, Kedor Laomer, there you go, uh, who's the leader of these other kings, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Where are we? Abram is returning with his army. They're war-torn from battle. They're exhausted. They've driven the enemy 100 miles away, and now they're marching back. And, and we're told that in the valley of Shiva, that is also called the king's valley, that the king of Sodom comes out to meet him. So the king of Sodom is the leader of these five kings that were just attacked. So he's, he's kind of the main one. He comes out to meet him. We're told that the the valley of Shiva, is also called the King's Valley. I mean, we all know what that means, right? We don't all know what that means. <laughs> uh, but what the King's Valley is, so if you're in Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem's on, on a mountaintop, one of the valleys that surround Jerusalem is called the King's Valley. So it's almost like the narrator like, steps outside for a second and says, hey, in case you didn't get that, that's the King's Valley. They're right by Jerusalem right now. Now, Jerusalem's not really a thing yet, you know, that, that's much later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, you know, David will come, and, and David is a descendant of Abram. Um, but it's, it's like they're setting the stage and saying, hey, by the way, they're right by Jerusalem right now. In case, in case you didn't get that, they're right there. And something's going to happen. They were told that the king of Sodom comes, and then it's almost like it pauses, and it goes into verse 18. Then Melchizedek, everyone's favorite name. Then Melchizedek, king of Salam, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. Melchizedek, king of Salam, the first priest. Salam is, is simply the second half of the word Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. So it's not quite Jerusalem yet, but there's still people living there. There's people that, that live on this mountain, and it's Salam. It's not Salem, that's, in, that's on the East Coast. <laughs> it's Salam. And, and most people agree, this is, this is ancient Jerusalem. This is pre-Canaanite, 
or this is Canaanite Jerusalem, this is pre-Israelite, they're not, they're not there, the temple's not there, none of that has been built yet, but there's still people living there. And who comes out to Abram? Interesting, the king from there. He's not one of the kings that was attacked. He's just another one. They're just meeting outside of a city. And he comes out, and what does he bring? He brings the abundance of this city of ancient Jerusalem. He brings him food for his soldiers. They're war-torn. They're returning from battle. He brings food. He brings a feast out. And, and they celebrate, and they eat. And we're told that Melchizedek is a priest of God Most High. Now, we find out in the very next chapter, as Abram continues to speak, that that's what he calls God. This is, this is who we call God. He's a priest of God. He's not just like a priest of a God, a different God. He's not worshiping some pagan deity. There's this random guy that shows up. He's a priest. Where does he come from? What's going on? There's no indication in the rest of the Bible leading up to this. All of a sudden, we hear that there's, there's some people that follow God, and then it seems like no one else is following God, and then God kind of calls Abram, but God is doing something else. God is active. I don't know about you, but I mean, we kind of like to put God in a box sometimes and think we have them all figured out. But God is, God is large, and God is mighty, and God is doing stuff. And even here in Genesis 14, God is doing stuff, and, and we don't quite know what he's doing. But there's this random priest who's also a king, by the way, these are two of those titles we talked about last week, right? A priest, a king, and a prophet. All people that stand in this gap between God and people. And this priest comes out. And he brings a blessing to Abraham. We just had the first people that cursed Abraham's family. And God dealt with them harshly. God gave them this mighty victory. And now we get to the first people that will bless Abram. In his family. Remember, who will bless you, I will bless. Those who will curse you, I will curse. Here's our first blessing. And it's this guy who's a priest and he's a king. Priests, I've already said, you know, they stand in this gap, they offer sacrifices and bring blessing. Kings are also kind of in this gap. They have this special role. They, they rule over, especially when they're doing it well. They rule over with God's authority, God's ordering. That's what, how God creates. He makes order out of the chaos. And they've said that the kings help create that order, keep that order. And the prophets, they hear a word from God. They turn around and they give that word to the people. And they kind of go back and forth this way. So Melchizedek, the king priest, what does he do? Verse 19 and 20. Then he blessed Abram. Good. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> that's, that's a much better thing than kidnapping his nephew. Then he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So he brings to Abram the abundance of the city. He brings to him all the, a blessing. He brings them a great meal. And then, then he actually blesses 
Abram. It's right there. He, he blesses them. He, he tells them that it's God who gave them this victory, that it was God that, that gave him uh, this, this uh, victory in battle against overwhelming odds. And interestingly enough, how does Abram respond? He gives to him one-tenth of everything he had. All of this plunder from these five cities, everything he's coming back with, he gives him one-tenth of all of it. Does one-tenth sound familiar? Right? Here's a hint. One-tenth is called the tithe. It's in the Old Testament law. It's not here yet. <laughs> it's further in the book. <laughs> but it's like Abram like spontaneously does it. It's not even a law yet. It's not even anything that's written yet. He just, he just does it out of, out of how he responds to this blessing. He gives one-tenth to this king. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then we jump back into the story. Remember, Mechizeldek isn't the only one that's come so far. There was also the king of Sodom that arrived. So we jump back into the story, verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not accept anything belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. So this priest king, Melchizedek, he comes, he gives to Abram. He offers to him. He gives this blessing and Abram gladly turns around. When he, when he sees the abundance of this blessing, this, this blessing that, uh, it's like an Eden blessing you know, happening. He brings him food, he brings him this abundance, and of course he turns around and he, he freely gives him 10%. But the king of Sodom, he's got a different plan. The king of Sodom comes to him and and he says, well, why don't you give me the people back? And, and why don't you keep the rest of it? That sounds very generous at first. But we're actually kind of missing something. So this, this is like, uh, how do I explain it? You know, if you were sick or someone in your family was sick and there was this like church drive and people were going to like bring you food. And there's something inside of it that said, no, I don't want to accept food from other people because I don't want to have to do it next time. <laughs> Sounds a little funny. Hopefully it doesn't hit too close. I'm not talking about anyone in particular. <laughs> this is just a random story. But, but it's like the idea is that you'd be in debt. You know, so that, that's silly when it comes to giving food, right? But that's what's going on with Abram here. He's saying, well, why don't you just keep it all well, how this works in this gift-giving culture is that then Abram would be uh, kind of a servant of this king. He'd be under the umbrella of this king. He'd be one of his vassals. So he's saying, you, you were mighty, you did this great war, why don't you come be one of my guys? 
Why don't you come be one of maybe my generals? I mean, you can still be over there. You can still be a shepherd, do all your stuff. But why don't you be under the umbrella of what is the kingdom of Sodom? And, and, and Abram says, you know, he's not interested in it. He says, I'll just give you back all of it. I don't, I don't want to be in your debt. I, I just want to, I want to be my own person. And that's why he goes at the end and he says, you know, I don't want you to turn around and say, I'm the one that made Abram who Abram is. Why? Because God blessed Abram. God is the one who's making Abram who he is, not, not the king of Sodom. He says, I, I don't want anyone to ever turn around and say, I made Abram rich. And therefore now Abram owes me. And now I'm going to go to war again, because that's what kings do. And, and Abram, I'm going to call on you. You know, I, ma- I made you rich. Why don't you bring your 318 guys and, and let's go to war here. So that's what's going on here. So uh, it's, it's very, I think, fascinating. There's so much here. Again, we just breeze over it, right? If, you just, if you're just reading through the Old Testament, you're doing one of those Bible in a year uh, kind of things, and you get to Genesis 14, you read that, and you'll be like, okay, wars. Um, glad God saved Lot. Um, moving on. But what you miss is, is all of this stuff. This is, this is Eden language. This is blessing language. This is priestly language. There's, there's so much going on here. Then the story goes on, and Machizeldeck is just gone. We don't, we don't hear of him again. Well, we don't hear of him during his life. He comes up several more times. You know, and, and notice we're only in Genesis 14 here. So, you know, this is, there's no Moses. There's no Aaron. There's no tabernacle. There's no temple. There's no priestly Levites. There's, there's no sacrifices regularly being done. Uh, we, have, we have Salam. We don't have Jerusalem yet. Uh, this, is, this is all before all of this. And he just... McKizeldeck just kind of falls off the radar until Psalm 110, verse 4. And this is tying, of course, forward. This is tying into Jesus, but this is also tying into King David. So we get a lot of King David language here. Psalm 110, verse 4 talks about a priest that will reign forever. That is to come. And he is one from the order of McKizeldeck. And you go, what? <laughs> that random guy from Genesis 14? Well, the guy that we only heard that one little thing about, now he's coming up again in Psalms. And this, is like, this is interesting. So what's going on here? And then we get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. I don't know when's the last time you read Hebrews, but Machizeldeck is all over the place in the book of Hebrews. It's fascinating. Because this is the only place he is in the Old Testament. This is the entire story it's talking about. But here it is, Hebrews, I'll just read it for you. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, through chapter 7, verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And it goes into chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salaam, and priest of God Most High. We agree, right? We just read it. He met with Abraham. We're like, eh, he was Abram, but okay. 
returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. First, the name of Kizildak means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salam, meaning king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Then verse 4. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. It goes on with this. If perfection could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, that is the the Levites, the priest that comes later through the law, uh, after Moses, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to people established that priesthood, why then is there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So Abram is not exactly the one that connects humanity back to this blessing of Eden. Abraham's a piece in that puzzle, and as we get to this language, we see all this blessing language, and we're like, okay, we're finally getting there. Maybe we'll get some of that Eden blessing uh, back into humanity. We'll get, get some of this that they've been kicked out of. It might come back to us. But it is one of his descendants. I already kind of told you earlier. It's Jesus, right? Have you ever thought about Jesus? Jesus is not a Levite. This, this comes up. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear why it's in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrew people. <laughs> and they're the ones that would be like, wait a minute now. <laughs> if we have a new high priest, how come he's from Judah? He's not from Levi. You know, in the, in the, the author of the book of Hebrews says, well, he's not from that line of priests. He's from a different line of priests, one that, one that was actually greater, one that predates, one that, one that actually came from Jerusalem originally and came to God's people and, and blessed Abram, and then Abram blessed him back, and, and there's this whole story, and, and that's, that's the high priest that we're tied to in Jesus. He comes from this other line of priests, this one that, that God is doing something, not people doing something. It's not one, and we'll get into the, the Levitical priesthood, the Levites. They fall short all the time. I mean, almost immediately. Almost immediately, it's like Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. This is next week. He's up on the mountains. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting all the instruction. What are the people doing? Led by Aaron? They're creating the golden calf, right? They're deciding to worship God in the way they want to worship God. They're not going to follow this, this law. It's, it's amazing. And they're led by, we're told that Aaron does it. He's the high priest. He's the one that takes all the stuff. He makes the golden calf. He says, now we're going to worship this. This is Yahweh. This is our God. Not this one up on the mountain. We're going to worship God how we want to worship God. 
that doesn't sound, I don't know, if that's not convicting, I don't know, <laughs> that we're going to worship God the way we want to worship God. Not this God that does this weird stuff. Not this God that, like, you know, we, we think we know what, what he's doing with Abram and, and Sarai, and then all of a sudden it's like Mechizeldek comes, and we're like, mm, that God makes us a little uncomfortable. That God that has this, like, other priest that's still worshiping him, and then, and then he comes and he blesses Abram, we're like, hmm, that's a little mysterious. How about we worship God in comfort? How about we worship God how we want to worship God? How about we worship God how we learned to back when we were in Egypt? We know how to worship gods. We've been shown how to worship gods. We, we build a statue and we do our thing. And, and, you know, us as modern Christians, we know how to worship God. We can do it. We show up to church, sing three songs, hear a scripture reading, hear a sermon, Sing another song. Go home. <laughs> Coast for a week. <laughs> Come back to church. You know, like, we get it. We know how we like to do it. And, and God is like, eh, I don't know. I don't think God plays that way. I don't think that's who this God is. But what is so great about this entire story is who this God is, is actually so wonderful. This is the God that created all of it. And, and if you weren't here last week, I, I suggest listening, but it's this God that created all of it, and the God that said, you know, I could just rule all this. I could just do all this, but, but I want to be in relationship. I want to be in relationship with humans. I want to be in relationship with with people, and I'm going to give them authority. I'm going to give them power. I'm going to let them stand in this gap between, between God and, and the rest of creation. I'm going to let them be my priests, and I'm going to do it alongside someone else because, because God loves them, and because God cares for them, and because God loves us, and because God cares for us. But these humans... You, me, back in time, Abram, everyone else, they just can't save themselves. They can try to stand in this gap, but they, they can never do it. They can never do it well. They can't, they can't save themselves. And, and this God is holy, and this God is perfect, and they can't stand in his presence the way they are. So there's this need as we continue reading, and this need, again, will continue all the way through this sermon series of for one who is truly capable, for one who can truly live into this high priest role, for one that, that like when they're leaving the garden, one that will, that will fight the snake, but also will be the sacrifice, one who will be the priest, but also will be the lamb. And we'll get there. I mean, Good Friday is coming. This is a Lenten sermon series. <laughs> means we're, we're leading to Good Friday, we're leading ultimately to Easter, right? And we'll get there, but we're not there yet. 